0: this morning we will be in Luke chapter 12, verses 8 through 12. Luke chapter 12, verses 8 through 12. Of course, we're resuming our series in the Gospel of Luke. I'll bring the text up on the screen. You can find our passage on page 871 in the Pew Bible. Hear the word of the Lord. This is Jesus speaking, and I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of man will uh, also will acknowledge before the angels of God, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So early on in the church, there was a serious problem Under violence and the threat of persecution, members of Christian churches and even pastors had recanted the faith, and some had informed even on other Christians. And once the threat had passed, uh, many uh, who who had folded under uh, the the threat uh, of torture and even torture itself uh, were repentant, and they sought readmission to the church. But one large group uh, within the Christian church uh, said that if you have betrayed the faith in this way, then you could not be restored, you could not be forgiven. They went further declaring that any religious sacraments performed by ministers who had recanted were now void and had to be re-administered. So that way, meaning that if you had been baptized by a certain pastor who had recanted the faith, then... Uh, you had to go get baptized again. Now, uh, the church at large, though, did ultimately reject this position, uh, and uh, and we don't actually hold that um, the, the that the sacraments are made effective by the minister. Um, uh, we believe that they are made effective by the Spirit as they are received in faith. And but we are, I mean, there we, we can be sympathetic, on the one hand, to those who suffered at the hands of the persecutors while also acknowledging the, re- the relevance and the difficulty of the question: can you be restored to the church if you have denied Christ publicly? Uh, what about the person today who walks away from the church, denies Christ, but later says they are repentant and wants to return. Now, we may think we know the answer just kind of knee-jerk, but life can get very messy and very complicated when you get into these situations. Now, we've been out of the Gospel of Luke for a minute, so let's take a moment to get ourselves oriented here. We're at this point in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus has turned His face toward Jerusalem, and He's walking the long path To his death. The shadow of the cross is beginning to loom overhead, and we are deep into this section of what many scholars call the school of discipleship, where Jesus is preparing his disciples to operate without him physically present upon the earth. And Jesus has already been addressing uh, in this chapter how His disciples should deal with their fear when it comes to confrontations with the world over their faith as believers. He has said that we should fear God over men. But there is more to say. And so in this passage, Jesus does two things. First, He clarifies the importance of confessing Him before men. And then secondly, he comforts us about our fears when the moment comes for us. So first, let's look at how Christ clarifies his importance. And there's a very simple principle that Paul uh, that, sorry, that Jesus gets into in, uh, in, in, this, in verses eight through 10. And the principle is this: Your attitude toward Jesus. Is everything. Acknowledge Christ before men, and he will acknowledge you before the angels. Deny him before men, and he will deny you before the angels. Now, the reference to the presence of angels would seem to indicate the day of judgment, where we stand before the throne of God. As one scholar noted, Jesus pre- presents himself here as both intercessor and prosecutor depending on where we stand. Now, we want to ask the question, well, why is, it, why is there the focus on public speech here? Well, our speech, how we use someone's name, is indicative of how we regard them. Our speech comes, as Jesus said, out of the overflow of our heart. This is unavoidable. Even if someone lies out of a divided heart, they reveal that their heart is divided. If someone is dedicated so much to a particular idol that they're willing to sacrifice the truth, well then, that, is, that is, comes out in their speech. If our speech is godly and genuine, if our love is sincere, then it indeed comes from our heart. And so to acknowledge, as Jesus says here, that word He uses, it means to confess, to, to claim for yourself. And so do we claim Jesus as, as our Lord and Savior? Do we own Him or do we deny Him? It's an eternal question with eternal consequences. But I don't want to beat around the bush this morning because the question that everyone asks when they go to this, when they go to this passage is what is the unforgivable sin, right? This is the passage that talks about the unforgivable sin. There's this passage in then Hebrews chapter 6 that deals with a similar concept here. And uh, Jesus goes on to say that, uh, you know, because as simple as the, the principle is here, confess Christ and he will own you, you know, uh, and acknowledge him, he will acknowledge you, deny him, he will deny you. As simple as that principle is, Jesus goes on to say that everyone who speaks against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, and we are introduced to a problem. Didn't He just say that the one who denies Him will be denied? Well, then why did He just say the one who speaks against the Son of Man will be forgiven? If He says those who deny Me will be denied. Further, what are we supposed to do with the example of Peter? Peter? who denied Christ publicly, not once, not twice, but three times. What are we to do with Paul, who describes himself as a blasphemer and a murderer and a persecutor of the church prior to his conversion? Why is it that Jesus says you can speak against the Son, but you can't blaspheme against the Spirit? So as we take in the, even just the, the, this uh, just kind of first blush here, uh, we, need to, we realize we need to be more clear on what exactly it means to deny Jesus. The scholar Daryl Bach has a massive commentary on Luke. It's not just one volume. It's a vol- it's commentary so nice he wrote it twice, into two volumes, right? And, so, and each one is over a thousand pages, all right? It is massive. Well, he lists uh, five different views of what we like to call the unforgivable sin that Jesus is talking about. here. Uh, So there's five different views I'm going to give you. The first is that uh, this is a reference to what the Pharisees did when they attributed the power of Christ's miracles to the power of Satan, saying that the work of God that Jesus is doing is actually the work of the devil. Uh, The second idea is uh, the unforgivable sin is a believer's apostasy when they turn from the faith. If someone renounces the faith and walk away, then they can never return, they can never repent, they can never be restored. The third idea of the unforgivable sin is that uh, this is essentially denying the ministry of the apostles. That is, they kind of take, when Jesus says... Uh, denying you, if you speak against the Son of Man uh, um, and the speak and to blaspheming the Holy Spirit, they're kind of like a, a chronological time reference. That the speaking against the Son of Man has to do with speaking against Jesus in His earthly ministry, uh, but speaking against the Holy Spirit or blaspheming the Holy Spirit is uh, speaking out against or denying the the, the ministry of the apostles which comes by the Holy Spirit. And so they're saying if you deny the ministry of the apostles or, the, um, uh, or even beyond, depending on who you read, uh, that that is uh, the unforgivable sin. So there's uh, so there's that's number three. Uh, Number four is the unforgivable sin is the failure to speak what the Holy Spirit instructs a believer to say before the authorities. So when someone is being persecuted and they're brought before the authorities, and the Holy Spirit says, you know, it gives them what to say, and they refuse to say it, or out of fear they don't say it, that that's the unforgivable sin. Uh, um, uh, And then fifth. Uh, The unforgivable sin is the persistent and decisive rejection of the Holy Spirit's message concerning the person and work of christ that is a, re, a decisive rejection of the gospel a persistent uh continuous rejection of the gospel so um so those are the five options and uh and so i want us to kind of help help us think through some of these as we think as we help kind of sort these options uh now many of us know peter's story uh here uh, he uh, claimed that he would never abandon jesus he said you know Everyone else may abandon you, Jesus, but I will never abandon you uh, he's we believe is the disciple who pulled the sword and cut off the guy 's ear uh, you know jumping jumping in there and then Jesus rebuked him for that uh, and of course it was jesus i mean it Peter who was the only disciple on record who publicly denied Christ three times yet he was also we know in john twenty one Restored by Jesus personally. And so, if the unforgivable sin is a basic, verbal, and momentary denial of Christ, then there is no way that Peter should have been forgiven. Second, the separation of Christ's ministry from the ministry of the apostles does not make sense. Because technically speaking, all of the ministry is Christ's ministry. Christ's ministry on earth is Christ's ministry. But the ministry of the apostles in the book of Acts, like people like to say the book of Acts is called, is because it's the acts of the apostles. Well, it's really actually the acts of the risen Christ through the Holy Spirit in the apostles. right? Because Christ is still ministering in the book of Acts. And He's still ministering today because Jesus reigns. And so, uh, so there's no, there's, and there does, and for my part, I don't see a biblical logic where Jesus says, look, you can say mean things to me while I'm here on the earth in this moment, but once I'm raised from the dead, mm mm-mm, right? Further, the unforgivable sin is not, uh, you know, number four was, was the failure to speak what the Holy Spirit says, um, the, I I uh, one I, the holy I would reject that position because one you're going back you're going down and then going back and reading it back into it and you're saying oh well this is what he's talking about and so um and and again we still come back to peter right and and say well did Peter do that, or also um, you know is there uh, it, are, are we really saying that because the example of Peter is brought to us, and uh, i don 't think it was just because he didn 't listen that because the holy spirit wasn 't had been had not been poured out at, at Pentecost that it, that that rule didn 't apply to Peter if that was the case, so uh, would not uh, take number four either so as we look at this passage, uh, there does seem to be a what we would call a parallel in the grammar between uh, the statement of denying Christ before men and blaspheming the Holy Spirit when Jesus goes on to clarify what He means. And given the examples of Peter and Paul, we have to rule out that the unfor- unforgivable sin is a, simply a verbal, momentary, public action because it's clearly not. Rather, it is what, as another scholar wrote, it is the conscious and wicked rejection of the saving power and grace of God toward man and Jesus Christ. The unforgivable sin is not a failure of nerve in a moment. It is, the, it is a willful act of the heart. Davis, on Davis, the, the pastor scholar, wrote that it is not momentary failure but a definitive repudiation of Christ. And so I'm intentionally stating it in different ways, in multiple ways, that the unforgivable sin is the persistent, decisive rejection of the Holy Spirit's message concerning the person and work of Christ. Um, uh, Because uh, there are people in the church who hear that there is such a thing as unforgivable sin, and it's almost like their hearing shuts off after that. And then they just walk around in anxious fear that somehow they have committed the unforgivable sin because God apparently likes to mess with people and not tell them things. And so, uh, and so they walk around going, have I committed the unforgivable sin? Have I committed the unforgivable sin? And it's like, it, it's, it's the, same, it could have, the same rule for apostasy is applied here. Okay, If you're walking around worried that you're an apostate, you're not an apostate. Because apostates don't worry about being apostate. That's what it means to be apostate. They go, yes, I'm apostate, and I'm glad of it because I hate the church. Because I hate the gospel. I hate all that garbage. I don't believe in it. Whatever. Like they just they abuse the gospel. They abuse the church. Okay? That is what that is. And likewise, if you've committed the unforgivable sin, you're not worried about committing the unforgivable sin. Because you don't care. All right? And the other question we need to ask is why is the unforgivable sin unforgivable? Have you ever asked that? Well, I mean, think about Peter denied Christ, Paul made war against the church, and yet these were forgiven. Paul said he, in fact, was saved to show that anybody could be saved he's because he's the worst of sinners. And and so and so again like why what makes the unforgivable sin unforgivable Well according to Jesus even speaking against Christ himself is forgivable It doesn't mean that it's not a big deal It doesn't mean that it's not a grave sin to speak against the Son But if we are repudiating, denying, disassociating ourselves from the saving grace of God, saying the grace of God has nothing to do with me and I have nothing to do with God, I'm done, I'm out, I don't care. Well, if that is our commitment, then how could we possibly be saved? How could we possibly be forgiven if that is our attitude towards the gospel? which is the work and message of the Holy Spirit. How can we be forgiven if we deny the grace of God that comes by the Spirit? Now, there is one who committed what we would see as the unforgivable sin. We have an example of it in the Scriptures, the best example that we can find anyway, and that is Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus. Now, when Peter denied Jesus publicly three times, what did he do immediately following? The rooster crowed, Jesus looked at him, and what did did Peter go and do? He wept. He wept bitterly. And when he saw Jesus again, raised from the dead, what did Peter do? He dove out the boat and got to him as quick as he could. Peter continued to seek his shelter in Jesus Christ, even though he had denied him publicly. And he was restored and forgiven. What did Judas do? Judas grieved. He knew that he had done something wrong. But rather than seeking mercy, rather than seeking grace, he simply gave into his own despair and killed himself. And Jesus was not forgiven. He did not seek the grace of God. On the one hand, we need to take Jesus very seriously here. And understand that He calls upon us to own Him before men. And in doing so, He will own us before the angels. He knows that we may falter and fail. But so long as we do not deny the grace of God... We don't reject it, walk away from it, repudiate it, then we will always find forgiveness. Because we will not find forgiveness apart from the gospel and apart from the name of Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. There's a guy named Thomas Cranmer, a very important figure in the uh, English Reformation. And he was doing a lot of reforms in the Church of England. Uh, when Queen Mary came to power. And, uh, the, and Queen Mary has a wonderful nickname. Does anybody know it? Bloody Mary. And not because she invented creative beverages. She took the throne and began to pre- persecute Protestants. Arrested, Thomas Cranmer was forced to watch his two friends, Ridley and Latimer, be burned alive for their commitment to Christ. It was these two guys who, uh, who were sitting there about to be burned alive and I believe it was Latimer who turned to Ridley and said, play the man. We're about to light a candle in England that shall never be put out. But that put a human fear into Cranmer and under pressure he recanted of his Protestant faith, the Protestant gospel even, and signed a document to that effect. But then he had to go and publicly state his repudiation of the, of the Protestant gospel and the faith. And when the opportunity came and he stood before everyone, he instead recanted his recantation. And he affirmed the gospel. He was immediately taken to be executed. And as they lit the fire, he took his arm that had signed the recantation, and he shoved it into the flame. And he said, For as much as my hand offended in writing what was contrary to my heart, therefore my hand shall be first to be punished. And in the end, Cranmer made the good confession. And when he died, he was gladly received by his Savior, forgiven and restored. We need to make sure we don't get lost in the weeds or or stuck in irrational fears about unforgivable sin and to miss the point of the passage. The point of the passage is confess Christ always. Confess Christ always. Now, amazingly, here, Jesus assumes an importance to himself that would be inexcusable unless he is the divine Son of God. Imagine if you or I were to say something to the effect of what Jesus had said. That if I were to say that your eternal destiny is determined by your attitude about me. Right? That's not the case. Alright? Your eternal destiny is not determined by how you feel about Eric. You might today, you might be like, I'm kind of eh today. Alright? Just going to be honest with you. Okay? It's, uh, and, and so like, it's not based upon me but Christ says yes your attitude towards me is everything whether you deny me or you acknowledge me is everything if it comes to us if we say things like that about ourselves that is arrogance or madness but Jesus is the divine son who has come in the fulfillment of the will of his father and the power of the spirit so it is accurate and true and so in that case, Jesus here brings clarity that whatever happens, run to Him. Whatever happens, confess your love and allegiance to Him no matter how you fail and stumble along the way. Do it even if you fail in a moment like Peter or like, or like Thomas Cranmer. Confess. Do it even if you have a dark and even blasphemous past like Paul. Confess Christ. What I want to be clear here is that, is that there is absolutely no reason for anyone to walk away today wondering if they have somehow committed the unforgivable sin. Because it doesn't happen with a slip of the tongue by accidentally uh, you know, uttering a, a string of words together or even a failure of nerve in a moment. It is the conscious and willful determined decision that doesn't change yet we still get this anxious moment about the moment when they when that may come when we don't expect it when we are put on trial for the faith when we when the pressure comes and turns upon us i remember when i was uh, when i was in high school 1999 all right there's a flashback so 1999 in high school and all of a sudden news of the columbine shooting comes out and then there was one girl in that school, one of the girls, one of these two young men went through and they killed something about 13 students. And they went up to a girl, I believe her name is Cassie, I can't remember her name exactly. And they asked her who she was, a Christian. They said, do you believe in God? And she said, yes. And they shot her in the head. And We don't know, you know, are we going to stand before church courts to be burnt at the stake? No. Could we, be, could we fall victims to, you know, crime and madness like that in our country? Unlikely, but possible. Can we be brought before HR departments? And uh, can students be brought before university boards and administrative agencies? You betcha. It happens a lot. And so we, and we ask ourselves, what would I do? Right? That's always the question. What would I do? Would I have the nerve? Would I have the moment? And so in those, in those anxious thoughts, Christ comforts our fears. Verses, this is what verses 11 and 12 are all about. And, and Jesus does introduce the inevitable pressure that comes to the church. Jesus says, not if, but when you are brought before the authorities. And He lists a variety of them. Synagogues and rulers and authorities. Not if, but when, it doesn't mean that, uh, that a, every Christian in every place and every time is going to be brought for the authorities and, and that we have to have some kind of persecution complex or anything like that. But we do see a lot of things that are coming into, and I say especially in the universities, especially into Christian institutions, Christian schools, uh, especially you are seeing it more in the medical field now as, as even so things like math and, 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 and science and the medical field are being, are being taught to, being required to use certain language that denies biblical categories or even at times required to do certain medical procedures that, uh, that doctors or nurses or medical staff may find religious, for religious reasons, morally objectionable. It can happen. It can happen through lawsuits. In other countries, there are people, you know, you can be executed or imprisoned, right, for, for the Christian faith. Uh, there are laws in England and even, into, and even in Canada, uh, speech laws, speech codes that actually run against uh, Christian teaching and that can, Christians can't, and pastors can get in trouble for. It's out there. It does in, in in a varying scale. But it is out there today. And our Lord said that we should not be surprised. We should expect this. And as we even heard Peter say on Sunday nights, we've been studying his letter, that we should not be surprised by the reality of it. Rather, we ought to be prepared for it. And so Jesus gives us a promise to soothe our anxiety. Jesus says, don't worry about how we should defend ourselves in that moment or what we should say. Because the Holy Spirit will direct us in that moment as to what we ought to say. And... Now, for some reason, some have interpreted this to mean that therefore we don't need to study things like apologetics or concern ourselves with being prepared in advance to be able to give an answer. Some pastors have even taken this to mean that they don't need to study for their sermon uh, before the uh, through the week because the Holy Spirit will give me the words to say. And the, and uh, and so and yes, uh, granted, the Holy Spirit does inspire in the moment. But as one of my prof- seminary professors says, the Holy Spirit's at work the rest of the week too, and in your study when you're studying for your sermon so stop making excuses and do the work. Being unprepared and ignorant of our faith is not a virtue, nor is it what Jesus is saying. He is simply saying, don't be anxious about that hypothetical moment. Or if that moment is coming, if the appointment is scheduled for for that department meeting, or if that like when you feel like it's coming or it is going to happen, don't worry because the Holy Spirit has got your back. The Holy Spirit's going to take care of you. Don't fear. Prepare. Think about what you're going to say. Study the Scriptures. Pray about it. But just know that the Holy Spirit's going to give you the words to speak. And therefore, in order to honor Christ here, to put it in just the simplest terms, we simply need to get ready and to trust God. Get ready and trust God. Be clear on the Gospel, what the Gospel is, how God saves you in Jesus Christ. Know that He will deliver you from all evil. And then trust in Him. Trust that God will guide you. Trust that His Spirit lives in you, securing all the benefits of the Gospel to you. And that He will give you the words to speak in the moment. And walk in the freedom and the boldness of grace and the power of the Spirit. Can someone who denied Christ in a moment of weakness and sinful failure be restored to the church? Yes. Can someone who has said and done terrible things in their past against Christ and the church become a believer? Yes. We have examples of both in the Scriptures. Further, we have the promise of Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit will direct us in our own moment of trial. Only let us never abandon the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. Let us confess him always as our Lord and Savior no matter the cost, repenting of whatever sin we are guilty of. And even if we fail in a moment, let us always run to Jesus, knowing that he will receive him, that he will receive us as we confess him still. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Jesus we do have a faithful Savior, who is faithful even when we are faithless, even when we have sinned, when we have fallen short, when we have given in to the fear of man, when we have committed gross errors of judgment, and sometimes just wickedly given into sin. We thank you for the Spirit that corrects us, the word that strikes into our very heart that drives us to tears and weeping and grief over our sins and leads us to repentance. Your kindness, Lord, leads us to repentance. And Your your Son ever stands ready to receive us, gentle and lowly, to give peace to our souls. And so, Father, we pray that we would confess Christ always, boldly, looking to the sufferings of the church, And the strength and the power that you have given to our brothers and sisters. That you give them even today. And that 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 strength would be our strength. That we would know that you will give us the words to say in the moment. That we would be prepared by knowing the gospel. Believing the gospel. But Lord, even if we should fail in the moment. May we remember that our Savior is faithful even where, where we fail. That he will restore us even as he restored Peter. And that he will give grace to wicked sinners, even as he did Paul. And we know this because you have given grace to us. And you have called us not sinners, but saints. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.